0: this. Know the Source on One Radio Network. Well, very pleasant. Uh, good morning, fun seekers. Welcome to the show. A few minutes late here. Had a few technical snafus, but it's the story of my life. Mercury's always in retrograde. Well, not always. Good morning. If you'd like to be on the show, you can call <clears throat> Excuse me. 663 6386, and the email is Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. It is the, uh, let's see, the 11th of July. Just a quick reminder that the uh, big event uh, that's about 20 days long begins today called The End of COVID. It is a, quite a production of about 90 hours worth of people from all over the world who have documented and researched and been working on it for years and they can prove to you that there is no virus, that there's never been a virus, that this entire COVID thing was a psychological operation. The germ theory is just an unproven um, theory and it's it's a big one, you know. Um, people from all over the world and there'll be 20 days of this and you you watch some of this and you will never worry about germs again pretty cool. At the end of COVID.com if you'd like to watch, and it's free uh, for the next 20 days. It'll be 90, 90 hours. A little bit later on today, we're going to talk to Joey Schwartz. He's a young fellow that's been looking into diet and nutrition. He's a big carnivore guy, but he's he's also been quite uh, vocal in, in his uh, uh, arguments about some of the, the carnivore gurus out there and all that. So we're going to have fun talking with him, and that'll be at one o'clock. Okay, first up this morning is a fellow that we've had on the show from time to time, and nice guy, he he operates uh, the 10th Amendment Center, and his name is Mike Meharry, and he's there in the great state of Florida. And Mr. Meharry, Michael, welcome to the show. I think it's the first time I've ever seen you. We uh, Before, it's always been on audio, right?
1: I think you're right. I think this is the first visual. And, and to be clear, I, I don't run the 10th Amendment Center. I'm the National Communications Director. Um, Michael Bolden is the the executive director. So it's a it's a team effort over here. Yeah.
0: Tell folks what the tenth the 10th Amendment is.
1: Well, the Tenth Amendment is uh what Thomas Jefferson called the foundation of the Constitution. Um and really what it is is what is legally known as a rule of construction. It tells you how to read the document. And it's very simple. It means exactly what it says. The powers that are delegated to the federal government, belong to the federal government. Every other power remains with the states and the people. Um, and so it it really reaffirms what we already know from the structure of the Constitution, that the federal government is supposed to exercise a few limited powers. Uh, enumerated means they're numbered. We find most of them in Article 1, Section 8. There's some other uh, powers throughout the Constitution. But the Tenth Amendment says uh, the, the powers that are delegated to the uh, federal government along there, and all of the powers remain with the states and the people. So, it just tells you how to read the Constitution. So, if there's ever a question about whether the federal government is supposed to be doing something, you just need to go to the Constitution, look for that power, and if it's not there, the federal government shouldn't be doing it. It should be uh, left with the state and the people themselves.
0: Well, the reason uh, uh, I wanted to have you on today, you you wrote an interesting article about, I guess, the great state of Wyoming, uh, talking about food freedom and, and selling the farmers markets and very, in, you know, much aware of that whole um, structure uh, uh, around the around the around the country, probably around the world. So I want to dig into that a bit, but but in general, you say if the Constitution doesn't say, Mike Meharry, that uh, the feds can do something, the the states should have priority of if, if they want to do it or not. Is, is is that is that said properly?
1: Right, absolutely. It's 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 the way the system of American governance is set up, kind of in the big picture way. Uh, and and ultimately, w- what we really need to think about is what is known as sovereignty. Sovereignty basically means the person that has the ultimate power. And in the American system, it's the people of the states. The people are sovereign. And and really, when you really get down to it, if you get down to the true. Uh, source of sovereignty, it's an individual. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: And then we come together in a society and uh, in the political sense, Uh, the people of each state are sovereign. So they've come together, they've created these state governments um, and they've given those state governments certain powers. And then we had a number of states, uh, 13 originally, that decided we want to come together and form a union, uh, believing that that would be a better structure to help kind of deal with foreign issues and foreign trade and war and peace and those types of things. And so they created a general government, the federal government is what we call it today, uh, to do a certain specific set of tasks. And I think the best description of the way the system is supposed to be was found in Federalist Number 45, which was written by James Madison, who is often called the father of the Constitution. And he said, the powers delegated to the federal government are few and defined. Those which remain with the states and the people are numerous and indefinite. Mm. And then he went on and he explained that the powers of the federal government would primarily deal with things like war, peace, foreign relations and foreign trade, and that all of the things that have to do with the life, liberty and prosperity of the states and the people would remain with the states and the people. And so we have theoretically a decentralized system where we have a very little power at the top. We have more power at the state level. And then uh, ostensibly, we should have even more more power at the local level um, because all localities are different right your community is different than my community which is different from the community up the road and those folks should decide how they kind of want to organize their uh, their lives and and their society it doesn't work when you have a a single monolithic government that's far away that's basically dictating everything and that's what we have today in the federal government we have a few people in washington dc that are making decisions for 350 million people uh, the fact that that has gone badly wrong shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, <laughs> even Thomas Jefferson, back when the country was relatively small, said the country is too big to be ruled by a small number of people far away, and he warned that it would create uh. corruption and all kinds of problems that we see today. Uh, yeah. And so,
0: yeah, no, uh, no yeah, it's one well yeah. side. So, but I'm wondering though, if you have a theoretically a more conservative for constitutional Supreme Court, um, if people wanted to really run these things up the flagpole, Mike Meharry, could they get the court to, to ever agree, possibly, that uh, Washington is just way over its head and with telling us what to do?
1: I mean, there are some situations where the, where the courts uh, could chip away mm-hmm. at, at federal power, but in general, and if you look at this, the, the trajectory of history, uh, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court tends to side with federal power hmm. and this shouldn't be surprising because you have a, a, a federal court is part of the federal government so in essence what you're asking <laughs> is you're asking the federal government to limit the power of the federal government um i, I always like to I it, kind of make this little joke and this is this analogy isn't original to me but it, it makes the point very well if you and i are in, in a debate about something and uh and and i say well you know what let's have my mother come in and and be the objective judge in this debate mm-hmm. now my, my mother god rest her soul she passed away a couple of years ago but she was a lovely person and fair-minded but i guarantee you in most situations she's gonna decide with me because i'm her son um and so that's what we see with the with the supreme court and i think it's i think it can be a problematic sometimes when we look at the the world in terms of conservative and liberal um because i don't know that that issues necessarily fit neatly into those things when it comes to the constitution um if you don't just because something is conservative doesn't mean it's constitutional right. and vice versa yeah. so you see a lot of things that would be quote considered liberal issues uh where i think the federal government is also overreached uh, you know situations like surveillance uh, most conservatives tend to like surveillance in the police state um and again that should be a local thing, not something that's being controlled by the federal government. So, yeah. I always look at it more in terms of, of where where is the power? Who is in control? Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, we are best served uh, to live as free people, to have the maximum amount of liberty, is to have assistance as, as decentralized as possible. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have the exact opposite yeah. today. And, and we see this, this as a, a problem all over the
0: place. So, before we talk about Wyoming, the reason... Uh, that prompted me to get in touch with you, Mike. Uh, they're, they're doing some interesting things. Um, have you heard of Amos Miller, the Amish guy up in Pennsylvania, and what's going on with him? Kind of very famous kind of stuff. Do you, do you know about him? I'm,
1: I'm, I'm guessing. I don't. I don't know the name, but I'm guessing this probably has to do with the uh, the feds uh, harassing this poor farmer over his raw milk.
0: Yeah. Well, it was actually raw meat too. Uh, oh, raw meat. Raw okay. meat and raw yeah. milk. And they've been doing it for years. And he is mm-hmm. a private club, and they're very, you know, you have to join the club. And and God love Amos Miller. I mean, they've been after him seriously for five, six, seven years. They just want to close him mm-hmm. down. And uh, presently, um, you can he can't even ship any raw meat, you know, where he just sells steaks or whatever. He just can't do it anymore. They've, they've got him to the point. It's just terrible. So I wonder how the feds can get away with that. And Mamis has got attorneys and I know you don't know the case or know enough about the case. How is it possible they can do this kind of stuff with the 10th amendment? I mean, do they just get away with it Mike? Cause they can. Well, I think
1: that's probably the best answer. Uh, you know, I, I say it goes back to hundreds of years of allowing uh, kind of you know, you've heard the term mission creep, mm-hmm. uh, where where you have a, a task for an organization, an entity, and, and over time, little by little, it starts to do more and more and more. Its mission gets broader and broader and broader. And that's what's happened with the federal government. And you always have people that, that come along and they think, well, it would be great for uh, we, we need this to be done. So they run to the feds and, and and get the feds to do this. And because it seems like a good idea at the time, everybody's like, okay, we'll let them do that. And it's interesting because if you go back to the old revolutionaries, the, the the founding generation, they talked often about how you shouldn't allow the precedent to be set, uh, I believe it was John Dickinson, who's known as the uh, the penman of the revolution, talked about how you have to nip it in the bud yeah. uh, when you see the first sign of overreach, you have to nip it because once the precedent is set, uh, then they they create a new foundation and then it grows on from there. So it's it's encroachment over time and they've used various excuses and various misinterpretations of the constitution particularly the commerce clause uh, which is really intended to be very narrow in the power that it gives the government they've created a situation where they've turned a term that in the time the constitution was ratified commerce really meant just trade uh over state lines and now they've taken that to be the uh the Uh, regulation of all economic activity uh, and things like food safety. Food safety was never intended to be something that the federal government was involved in. It was intended to be something that that state and local uh, entities took care of. So uh, we've seen this mission creep. And today we have arguably one of the largest, most powerful governments in history. And that's one of the things we're trying to do at the 10th Amendment Center is we're trying to devolve some of that power back to the state level and, and try to get a situation where the federal government is doing less and the states are doing a little bit more because again it moves us towards a more decentralized system where people have more control as opposed to the way it is now when uh, you know we have virtually no control over what congress or or the president does um you know even even taking voting into account they don't care much about what you and I think. They care about what big corporations and big money lobbyists think.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so we need to try to devolve that back down because you have much more influence over your city council member or your, even your state representative than you do somebody in Washington D.C. Right.
0: Uh, Mike Mayer is with us, the Tenth Amendment Center. Uh, I've got. A, I'm going to have to run out and do a little thing here shortly, a little personal thing with a car that needed a truck that needed to be towed. And when I do, I'm just going to turn it over to Mike for five minutes, and he's going to tell you about the Wyoming case that we are going to to talk about a bit. Mike, stay right there. and I'm gonna do a quick little break here first and let's sneak this in before I have to run out and, uh, and do something. It's great, you know, live, you know, you can't beat it. Live, live, uh, live whatever it is. Uh, we have a, a company that we work with that's really special, it's called Air Doctor, and they have a, a line of air purifiers that are just just terrific. I have one. This is the one I have. I think this is the medium size. And you can go on Air Doctor through our website and kind of look at all the different models. They have great sales almost all the time. Really good sales. And uh, these come, they look like a little R2-D2 and they're very intuitive where the, the little fans will come on a little bit more quickly if you're cooking bacon or something comes in from the outside. It really, it really knows what it's stumping and it changes the, the colors and you know what it's doing. and then it slows back down and, and it runs at a very normal, very quiet speed that you can't hear and it's constantly purifying the air in your home. And this is such a good thing because we know that there's talk about mission creeps, there's all kinds of creepy crawlies that come in, you know, uh, not germs or anything, but because uh, we don't do the germ thing, but certainly toxins from the air and, and pollen and stuff like that that sometimes we get allergic to. The Body Works. This is these are very cool. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy um, uh, getting one. And it's on OneRadioNetwork.com. Uh, do the Air Doctor thing, and uh, you just just click on there and uh, find one that's just right for you. Uh, Though you can figure out the uh, um, um, uh, the you know the square feet in your home, and you'll know just exactly the right one to do Air Doctor on One Radio. Network.com. Previously, with chemist, biologist, and nutritionist George Altgelt, we asked him this. And so what do you think about Dr. Seneff's contention that as these glyphosates are in the soil, they bust the sulfur cycle, and that's really detrimental to the body? It's extremely detrimental. Uh, Sulfur is such an important
1: detoxifying agent for the entire body and especially for the liver got to have trace minerals so that the liver can build these compounds that are essential for getting itself cleaned and that lady who was talking about sulfur Mm -hmm. man play that ad every chance you get because our foods are so deficient in sulfur and it is a big deal for the liver to have enough sulfur
0: to make all those compounds that it uses to detoxify itself not just sulfur. They're all important, but sulfur is the one that we're so deficient in, and we need sulfur. Thanks, George. I had some this morning. You you might want to give it a try. You can click an order right on the front page of com. Three locations, three prices delivered. And if you like more than four pounds for a discount, email me, Patrick, at com. We have been using this product, I think, 10 years now. I do a lot and. It's really for, good for your hair, your skin, your nails. Uh, it doesn't comb your hair, but, you know, working on that. Um, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. you'll like it. If you like more than four pounds, just email me, as we said, and, uh, and we'll hook you up. Uh, on detox, one other thing before we get back uh, to Mike. It is the uh, relaxed Bar Infrared Sauna. When you sweat, it, it is so good to detoxify uh, uh, toxins out of the body. It is the largest organ of our body, is the skin, and you will sweat and they'll come out. They've actually shown where you can take, uh, for example, a a urine sample, and you can see X amount of whatever, arsenic or mercury or stuff that we get in from the air and the water, if we're not filtering it right, and you can see so much is coming out. And then you can uh, do a sauna for 30 minutes and you can actually show that more toxins are coming out in the urine than before you did the sauna. So this is uh, even separate from the skin. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So this is a really good detoxifier. We have what we think is one of the best ones ever that you can get. It's a portable, and the best price that you're gonna get anywhere, I guarantee you, we're not even allowed to put it in print, is $1,295. Just email me with your your name and address, uh, state, and and we ship them all over the world as well. I'll give you the delivered cost, but if it's in the lower 48, that'll be $1,295. And again, we ship them all over the world. So um, just email me and I'll hook you up with a relaxed far infrared sauna. This is something I think you're really going to love to have. We're in it every day, and uh, I don't think you can do it too much, just much as you want just have a party know the source on one radio network with mike meharry and the 10th amendment center so you live in the great state of florida with desantis um so he's talking a lot about he doesn't want the who in there and all of this and all of this and stuff and we have a pretty good guy here in um, in Texas. Can a governor do a lot of things to enforce the Tenth Amendment, Mike? My Harry?
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and, and not just the governors, but the uh, state legislatures as well. And it's interesting if you go back and look at the debates around the ratification of the Constitution, Uh, you know, we've already talked about the fact that James Madison said the powers of the federal government were to be few and defined. And of course, that raises the question, well, what if the federal government starts doing things that aren't few and defined? Mm -hmm. And that question was raised. And in Federalist number 46, James Madison actually gave us a blueprint of how to deal with overreaching federal powers. And in Federalist 46, he said that when the federal government commits an unwarrantable act, and by that he meant unconstitutional, or interestingly, even if it is a warrantable act, a a legally valid act, but just happens to be very unpopular, he said the means of opposition is powerful and at hand. And then he listed uh, a number of things that state governments can do to kind of keep the federal government in its place. Some of them are, are things that you would probably think of. Uh, things like petitioning or governors protesting or just things that kind of call to light the fact that the federal government's out of bounds. But the most important thing that James Madison mentioned was a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. And those are his exact words. And he said, when a single state does this, it would create obstructions and impediments uh, to any federal action. And he said, if a number of states were to get together and do this to refuse to cooperate, he said it would it would create obstructions which the federal government would hardly be willing to encounter. And really, what he was getting at is the fact that the federal government needs state and local governments to take action in order to put its will into force. And one of the best examples I, I like to use because it's a visual example. if you've ever seen a federal drug raid on television, you'll see one guy. With a dea jacket maybe two and then there's like 47 guys that are like local sheriffs or state police or local police that shows you just how much the federal government depends on the state and local cooperation Mm -hmm. Uh, without it the two dea guys aren't going to do a whole lot Uh, when you add in all of this state and local support then then you start to the feds can start to do things madison is making the point if the state and local government simply refuse to help that it's going to become very difficult for the federal government to accomplish its goals. And interestingly, the Supreme Court, we talked about the Supreme Court a minute ago, I'm not a big fan of the Supreme Court, but here's one thing that they have done over the years that has created a tool for us to use.
0: Can I interrupt you one second, sorry. Uh, If if you can pick up, uh, what I wanna do, I need to run out and give this key to a guy to get my truck towed away. And while I'm gone, could you possibly lay the groundwork for this Wyoming thing? And then we'll get back to Madison. Just give the folks uh, what, what, what we're going to talk about with the the article you wrote, which is very interesting. And I'll be right there. All right. Okay. Thanks, Mike.
1: Absolutely. All right. So now I'm in charge. I don't know if he's going to regret
0: this or not.
1: Um, let me let me go on and, and actually continue with what I was saying about uh, Madison's blueprint, because I think it's important because it does actually set up uh, what they're doing in Wyoming, more specifically for food. Um, As I mentioned, we have this idea of there's a uh, refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. And uh, where I was kind of going was the fact that over the years, the Supreme Court has developed this legal doctrine known as the anti-commandeering doctrine. It's based on five Supreme Court uh, opinions, major Supreme Court opinions. And basically what the anti-commandeering doctrine says is that the federal government cannot force a state or a local government to use its personnel, or resources to enforce a federal law or implement a federal program. So simply put, if the federal government wants to do something, it really has to do it itself. The state and local governments can help if they want to, but they are not required by law to assist the federal government. And where we've seen this most powerfully demonstrated is in uh, all of the states that have legalized medical marijuana or medical, not just medical, but marijuana for personal use, Uh, despite the fact that the federal government says we now have still complete prohibition on marijuana because the states have legalized it and are no longer enforcing that law. Well, basically, federal prohibition is not being enforced either. So this is a way that the states can undermine federal power because they can refuse to cooperate the supreme court says so and it is powerful and effective um because again the federal government depends on state and local cooperation for virtually everything that it does that brings us to uh an act that was actually passed in wyoming back in 2015 and that was recently expanded and uh, that's kind of why i'm here because uh, we've had this expansion of the law but uh the the groundwork was laid actually again in 2015 and what this is is it's a food freedom act that was passed by the state of wyoming back in 2015 and broadly speaking what the food freedom act did was it eliminated a lot of the state regulations on small farmers and food producers um so think of your you know you've got your local uh house maybe uh, maybe a housewife or a, a, a single individual who's uh, baking pies. Uh, it created a, a legal environment in the state where that person, because they're doing a very limited uh, amount of business, they don't have to comply with all of the onerous uh, food safety regulations and licensing regulations and all of those things that usually go along with running a business. Um, So you go back to this 2015 act, it uh, it allows for the sale of many foods and food products directly from the producer to the consumer without adhering to the state regulatory and licensing requirements. Um, For instance, it even allows poultry farmers with fewer than 1000 birds to sell chickens and turkeys along with products made from their birds outside of that regulatory system. Mm. Um, So really what it does is it just deregulates food. Um the the big producers they're still going to have to do all the things that they do but if you're just a one small farmer and uh, you know you you're p- producing a few chickens or um you know maybe selling some raw milk or or whatever it is they've eliminated those regulations wow. um and, and made it easier for these small producers to do business and you know what we see in a centralized system When you have a lot of big regulations, it tends to favor big corporations and it tends to crowd out small producers. They can't afford uh, to get the licenses and to adhere to all of these uh, regulations that are often uh, promulgated by government. So by eliminating that, you allow these folks to do business. It creates it creates a situation where you have uh, more and more uh, of a market. Uh, There's more and more options. It decentralizes the food system and and that is a net positive for anybody who's consuming food. It allows you as a as an individual to develop relationships with people in your local area who may be uh, selling different types of food products. and you can develop those relationships, you can buy from them, you can grow to trust them, and uh, you know it, it, it kind of shields you in some yeah, ways if you have a, a major outbreak of a foodborne illness. Or that's something. really a beautiful uh, thing you, too,
0: right, Mike? I mean, that's a beautiful thing where people are more and more concerned about little things, not little things, but how much soy or GMOs that they feed their chickens and stuff like that. Right. So, so unless you know uh, the, the person feeding the chickens you don't really know. I mean, they put stuff on the label, Mike, but you never know. I mean, you know. Right, so, right, yeah. Uh, very interesting. So, um, Wyoming just opened it up then. I was out doing the thing, but I did read the article. They've opened it up yeah. so people can just sell to, to consumers.
1: Exactly. And so, uh, as, as I had mentioned while you, while uh-huh. you stepped away, uh, the original law was actually passed back in 2015. It has been very successful in opening up the market.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we've had two other states that have kind of followed suit and and created similar laws that's in uh, North Dakota and Utah uh-huh. and then also Maine has has done some stuff to free up its local food vendors as well and um so what happened this year in 2023 is uh, a bill sponsored by Senator Tim Salazar um, and then f- 10 fellow co-sponsors. Uh, they passed a law that actually expanded the Food Freedom Act and now allows uh, designated agents mm. to, quote, facilitate sales transactions in the marketing, transport, storage, or delivery of food and beverage products. So what does that mean? it doesn't just have to be me to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it now gives me the power to uh, to go to um you know maybe maybe my next door neighbor who's a little bit better at distribution um and it will allow that person to sell my goods directly to the consumer as opposed to me having to do it myself so it just again allows kind of a diversification of uh, of of that small food things and it also opened up some stuff um in terms of of eggs and dairy which will allow for uh, more production in uh, in both of those food products Uh, They'll be able to sell eggs and dairy at farmer's markets, farms, ranches, producers' homes or offices. Um, and, And so, again, it is allowing small farmers, small producers to produce and sell their wares and not have to deal with these onerous, uh, onerous regulations. And it creates competition. The uh, The big food con- conglomerates hate these things mm-hmm. because it's competition for them. And that's why oftentimes you'll see these big corporations pushing for regulations. I'll say it's for safety. What it's really for is to keep the competition down. Sure. And so I really love these types of things um, because they expand the market. Uh, they produce more options for you and I. And, uh, and and I would argue that it actually creates a a, a more healthy food system um, because I think a lot of this centralization leads to a situation um, where you have um, more of a chance of foodborne illness because everything is centralized. Yes, sir. So I think this is a, a really important step forward for another state should follow.
0: Yeah, I know that even at the Dripping Springs Farmers Market, which happens once a week that I go to, they have all kinds of rules there. Of what they can or cannot sell, and you mm-hmm. know, and some people just—they don't care. They just sell whatever they got and hope they don't get <laughs> caught.
1: You know, well, and and you know, that's and and that gets to the to the even bigger point. I mean, really, all of this—we can't depend on government to Come protect on. our liberty. Yeah. We can't pretend on government to protect our health. Uh, ultimately, it's up to us, right? And, and I think it's important for individuals, whenever possible, to say if if there is a if there is a regulation mm-hmm. that we believe. Is detrimental to our well-being. We should do everything we can to ignore it and work a way around it. Um, and and so it's not just states and localities that that need to be doing this. It really comes down to individuals. Yes, and I think that's a, really a key. Um, you need to take control of your own health, your own well-being, your own liberty.
0: Because I don't know, it, it, they're not righteous laws, are they? That that have been thought. You know, I of mean, not. They're not. So it's not like you're doing something bad if you're not if you just put, don't pay attention. To, you know, the whole thing about milk, I've just been fascinated by. In my opinion, in our research, Mike, we've, we've known for a long time that raw milk is very, very good for you, much better than pasteurized milk and homogenized. It just is. We know for yeah. exact, for a fact that, and this is part of the end of COVID thing, that Pasteur uh, was a fraud. That he actually cooked the books and the whole pasteurization thing was just made up. Louis Pasteur was on his deathbed he just, you know, he did. There are no judges, And, but these people, the dairy are so strong. I can remember we went to a meeting in Austin 10 years ago just trying to get um, farmers markets to be able to sell raw milk. And these people, they they, they didn't even hear us. I mean, you get up there and talk, and they, Michael, they were not even listening, you know, because they knew what they were gonna do. You know, they, 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 yeah. they knew what they were gonna do. So isn't it fascinating (laughs) that here we are, excuse me, but here we are in a time where we have to kind of fight and get feisty and do these things to do some of the most natural things in the world is buy food from people that are doing a good job and, you know, going to a place and we'll say, I'll give you $5 for this. I mean, isn't that interesting that we found ourselves in this position?
1: Yeah, I think it's an absurdity, quite frankly. Mm. Um, And, you know, we can have the debate about what's healthier or what's sure, not healthier and yeah. you know that's that's fine. I, I'm no expert in in some of these things. you I, you fought, know far more about a lot of the uh, the science right. and and the nutrition things I'm sure than I do. But really what it comes down to is individual sovereignty, right Who owns us? <laughs> well, I believe I own myself. Mm. I'm ultimately accountable for myself. I'm accountable for my health and I should have the right to make the decisions. For myself that I think are best for me. Yes. And to me, it's absurd when you have government bureaucrats, politicians, people with power, who are really trying to enrich themselves and increase their power, when when they're telling me how I should or should not uh, behave or how I should or should not uh, look after my own well-being. And, and this goes everything from food to, you know, milk, to the, the medications that we want, you know, uh, why, why should some guy in, in, in a suit somewhere who's probably a drunk tell me that I can't use uh, marijuana uh, if it helps relieve pain and inflammation from arthritis? Right. Now, he may not think it does, but that's none of his damn business. <laughs> um, and so that's why I think this is this is extremely important. Again, taking it down to the local level and giving more decision-making authority to you and I um, and and less decision-making authority for people who really don't have your self-interest or, or my interest in, they have their self-interest, mm-hmm. not my interest
0: um, at heart. On the food thing, Mike, uh, did you say that North Dakota, Utah, Maine have similar things of what you explained to our audience while I was away, uh, what's going on yes, in that? In, 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 uh, that in that Wyoming. is correct.
1: So laws that that allow for more freedom mm-hmm. uh, for local food production. And what I didn't get to, I, I think this is an important point okay. to make too. you know, before that we were talking about James Madison, we're talking about the federal right. government. We have this huge entity called the FDA. Uh, and and it has massive influence over um, food, beverages, medications. Uh, Again, I would argue that from a constitutional standpoint, FDA should not exist. I don't see any uh, power delegated to the federal government for them to regulate those types of things. And uh, again, often regulated to our detriment. Um, You know, we, we learned during the uh, the whole COVID debacle, uh, what the science uh, <laughs> right. tells us. And that's often propagated and, and pushed and regulated by agencies like the FDA. And the beauty of these types of of local, uh, creating local freedom, what it does is it creates a situation where the state is no longer enforcing regulations on these small producers. And if the state's not enforcing those state regulations they're also not enforcing the federal regulations and the federal government doesn't have the personnel or resources to do it it makes it easier for the guy at the farmer's market to say you know what we're going to sell this anyway i don't care what the fda says we know that the state's not going to bother us that that enforcement has been removed Mm -hmm. and it just creates more freedom so by expanding freedom at the local level you're actually pushing back against it's federal power in a very indirect way because it is creating an environment where a markets are expanding and b uh, the federal government simply can't enforce it by itself. A really good example of this is CBD. Yeah, uh, and, and we're talking about the non uh, psychotropic uh, yeah. compounds that 0. are in here.
0: percent, uh, right? Point zero zero right. They
1: don't. CBD products don't make you high, right. but there's a lot of evidence out there that that CBD is very effective in in doing a number of things, uh, particularly dealing with anxiety and mm-hmm. and inflammation. Uh-huh. Uh, I am a regular user of CBD for arthritis, ah, and uh, it, it has been you. very helpful for me. Yeah. And interestingly, you know, you can go to any any store; you can probably within a mile of where you are, unless you're way out in the in the boonies somewhere, uh, you can probably go find some place where you can buy CBD products. Interestingly, the FDA still claims that uh, putting CBD in food or selling it as a supplement is illegal. No kidding. No, no, yeah. Now, yeah really? now it's not being enforced no. because they don't have the enforcement mechanism. And, and the states have said, well, I mean, we're not going to try to enforce it. Uh, it was It's kind of a situation where the market grew up. Before, they had a chance to regulate it. Now, they can't put the genie back in the bottle. Interesting. And so, this is the kind of environment that we want, where the federal government simply can't uh, enforce its will, and where individuals get to make decisions. And so, the more we decentralize, the more decision-making power we place uh, in in smaller and smaller units, the better off we are. So. That's really the, the, from the 10th amendment standpoint. That's why the 10th amendment center is interested in this type of food sovereignty thing is because it undermines, uh, overreaching federal power, undermines the FDA and, uh, and, and increases liberty and freedom. Mm. And, uh, I, I look forward to other states following suit. Here's an interesting thing. People, the, the argument that you're going to get back. Well, well, Mike, what about safety? Right. That's, that's always the argument the government uses. They're, they're here to protect you. <laughs> and uh, whenever somebody says they're here to protect you, you probably should run uh, because they're they're not. But interestingly, in these states that have passed these types of laws, um, we've actually seen a decrease in foodborne illnesses. Mm, wow! Um, so. You know, it's and and this kind of makes sense. If you look, you can go back. There's there was a, a law that was passed back in the 60s. I believe it was 67, uh, which was the year I was born. It was called the Wholesome Meat Act, which sounds great. And it was supposed to make meat processing safer. It was going to make our meat supply safer. What it actually did was it created a massive consolidation to where today we have a very few large entities, big corporations that dominate the meat processing industry. All of the small processors were forced out. And as a result, when you have one plant that is producing, say, 15% of the uh, the country's uh, chicken supply, you get one bad chicken in that plant, you've now contaminated 10 to 15% of the chicken supply. That's a huge foodborne illness risk. When you have a decentralized system where you have thousands of processing plants, A problem in one processing plant is going to have a very limited scope. And indeed, after the Wholesome Meat Act, exactly as you would predict, we saw this big consolidation and we saw a big uptick in these large uh, outbreaks of foodborne illness. I saw one the other day. It was uh, uh, fruit, I think cantaloupe or something with listeria. Mm. Again, too few people doing too much processing. And so uh, um, the the excuse of food safety is really um it, it's it's untrue so uh you know it's it's interesting because again you they they've done studies they've looked at the uh uh the the Wyoming and Utah North Dakota after these laws were passed and they found that uh, there was not an increase in foodborne illnesses and in fact in these in these um these smaller transactions they're not finding any at all mm-hmm. and think if you think about it if 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 i'm producing Uh, You know, let's say I'm producing eggs and I'm selling, uh, you know, maybe 100 dozen eggs in a month. I just made that number up, but a small amount of eggs, right? It is in my best interest to be absolutely sure that my product, my eggs are as fresh as possible. Because if I have a case of foodborne illness from my eggs, that word's going to get out and people aren't going to buy any of my eggs. I'm going to be out of business. And so, therefore, the 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 smaller market, there's much more market control. There's much more incentive to do things cleanly and safely uh, because you want your product to be the best it can be because, you do, you know, it's, it's easy for you to lose your customer base. So, a lot of this stuff is just common sense, but we've been snowed by all of these, uh, you know, government people that are out there trying to tell us, well, we're for your safety, when really what they're doing is they're trying to increase their power, they're increasing the power of their corporate friends, and again, it's to our detriment. So, yeah. um, I say decentralize it yeah. as much as possible, and it's, that's that's what makes me excited when I see uh, this this big uptick in um, in
0: awareness uh, of all this
1: locality, you know, yeah. localism,
0: locals. You know, you, you CBD, and then the whole cannabis thing is interesting. In my understanding, is it true, Mike Meharry, that the feds believe that uh, medical marijuana or recreational whatever is just illegal is that their take and all of this oh, sta- yeah. all of the states are just doing it because they are if they say, come and stop us is that pretty much what they're doing
1: yeah I actually touched on this while while oh, you, you were uh oh. while you were away yeah um, and, and that's exactly what the mm. uh, what the federal government that's exactly what's happened the federal government still maintains complete prohibition in their mind uh THC is a controlled substance and it's absolutely banned for any purpose or use whatsoever. Yeah. And yet uh, today we have, uh, I believe, I think thirty-eight states that have legalized medical marijuana, and I think we're up to maybe twenty-nine, a bunch uh, that have just completely legalized it. Uh, interestingly, the world hasn't gone off the deep end. <laughs> you know, <laughs>
0: everything's okay. People aren't dying um, on the streets. <laughs>
1: Right. But the federal government simply cannot enforce it. And and in fact, they've given up because they know that if they don't have the support of state and local law enforcement, um, they're not going to be able to enforce it. There's actually statistics that show that ninety nine percent of arrests on marijuana uh, come from state and local level. So when you when a state legalizes marijuana, in effect, what it's done is it has removed ninety nine percent of the enforcement. Uh, and and so you know you can see with the situation where the federal government is in. And I, I believe the same thing will happen with food. If enough states simply say we're not going That's, to enforce these FDA mandates, they're not going to get enforced. Um,
0: they're just going to give and, up, uh, and they'll, they'll eventually just give up on the controlled substance for THC, right? Right or wrong? Whatever. Yeah, I
1: think I think they will. I mean, you know, or 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 it will continue. You know, I think there's a lot of people that in in politics that use that as a uh, a way to grandstand so they might keep doing that but they know they're not enforcing it i mean they've actually at the at the federal level in the last couple of uh of uh budgets uh congress has actually prohibited uh the department of justice from spending money to prosecute people for marijuana crimes if they are operating within a state's laws oh. uh, so they're not even trying, they're not even trying. Uh, at this point point. and now they you know again i don't know if at some point they the 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 perception may shift enough where they'll finally just legalize it and say we're done with prohibition or they may try to continue it in name only. But um,
0: so it feels like, regardless,
1: like the, it's not happening. So. It
0: feels like this energy, as Nancy Reagan once said, just say no, that it's happening more and more on the local level with people saying, no, that's not right. You know, I'm, I don't care about, I'm going to drink raw milk. I'll just find somebody and buy it. Right? I don't care yeah. what you guys say. And the states <laughs> are beginning to do the same thing, right? To following the will of the people so that's a good thing isn't it i mean yeah 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 and and i
1: I think that's the way you know if you want to talk about political strategy Mm -hmm. strategies for political change i'm very much a believer in a bottom-up approach so if you can change things at, at your local level then eventually that's going to filter up and create change at the state level which is going to eventually filter up and create change at the federal or national level and I think most people, when they think about political activism, they do it backwards. They think we're going to go to Washington D.C. and we're just going to change everything. Yeah. And uh, so we spend billions of dollars on the next presidential election—you know, the most important election of our lifetime. And uh, you know, I've, I've already made my prediction for the 2024 election. Uh, I guarantee you—you uh, you can write this down, okay. and I will—I <laughs> will gladly accept a uh, a bet on this from anybody that no matter who's elected. Uh, in the next election, the federal government will be bigger, more powerful, more intrusive, and deeper in debt uh, in 2028 than when the next administration starts in 2024. because. That's the way it always happens. You know, (laughs) we vote the bums out, we end up with new bums. Um, Whereas looking at these local things, you Mm. know, looking at what's going on in Wyoming, look at what's going on at the local level and so many of these uh, issues, uh, we're seeing real change that is positively affecting people's lives and and giving them just a little bit more space to be more free. Mm.
0: Uh, Cecilia wants to know, you may… so, if I wanted to get something going in my state, which is Tennessee, as far as the food freedom, where would I start? Okay, that's a good question. Tennessee's a pretty cool state. And you know, they've they yeah. got some good, you know, more constitutional values. I don't even want to use the term conservative anymore because it doesn't mean anything, right? I was about to say yeah, right, conservative. So, maybe people yeah. are tending a little bit more towards Constitution. Is that is that accurate? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, and it's interesting when you talk about food sovereignty, I think a, a, a lot of folks that would consider themselves on the left mm-hmm. embrace this idea. And whereas they might want a lot of federal control when it comes to something like guns, uh, they don't want the federal government uh, sure. messing around in food. You know, I, I know a lot of folks in Maine that are involved in the food sovereignty movement that that I would consider very, quote-unquote, liberal. liberal yeah. um, but she asked a very good question. Uh, and and. You know, the first thing to do, uh, in, in my view, um, is to you know kind of look at um, what can you do at at your local level, um, and and what room is there for ordinances or or you know what's on the books that might be hindering food freedom at the local level, and, and then work there. And and the way to do that is to talk to uh, whoever your like your county council member or your city council member. Your, your local governing body uh, at the state level, uh, you, you would want to talk to your state representative or your state senator. And, and I think it's, you know, I think if you've ever called Congress. It's the most discouraging thing that you could ever do, because you talk to some intern and that you can tell nobody cares what you're saying. Generally speaking, you're going to have a different experience if you talk to your state representative or your state senator. They are much more apt to care about what their constituents think uh, because their uh, political fortunes are much more dependent on uh on their on their voters than mm-hmm. they are on on the big lobbyists. They're not perfect, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, sure. but it is easier to talk to a state representative or a state senator. I think it's worth the time to give them a call and say, hey, look, you know, this is a an issue that's of concern to me. Uh, where can we possibly roll back some regulations on uh, on these, um, you know, on these small food producers? And, you know, even go and, and say, hey, look, you know, look at what they're doing in Utah. Look at what they're doing in North Dakota. Check out those laws. Make them aware of that. Um, the other thing that you can do is, is you know, it's it's hard to work alone find like-minded people and, and uh and, to and work together Absolutely you know yeah. um yeah it's uh, you know i've i've done a lot of my policy work has been in the area of surveillance and uh, when i lived in lexington kentucky you know, there were some issues where the police were doing some surveillance things that uh, were not being properly um overseen uh not proper boundaries in place and uh and and so i created a little organization and uh found some like-minded people and we started lobbying our city council and, and doing activism work on the ground. So, um, you know, it, it takes time. It, it takes organizational effort. Um, but that's what we have to do if we want to live free. We can't just, you know, sit back and hope that somebody's going to do it for us.
0: Yeah. Mike Meharry is with us at the Tenth Amendment Center. Patrick Timpone. if you'd like to check in before we let Mike go, quickly, 888 or email with a a question, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. So I live in Hayes County. Can the people in Hayes County, Mike, do you know, could they get their city council, and could they do what they want as far as telling the farmers markets, you can do whatever you want? Do they have that authority?
1: It depends on the state, and Mm -hmm. I don't know the particular laws of Texas. Um, You know, some states give a lot of latitude to counties and cities. And some states don't. Um, I know for a fact that Illinois is what is known as a home state r- or a home county rule where they have a lot of autonomy at the county level. I would say at the county in, in Illinois, they probably could do that. I don't know about Texas ah. in particular, and that would be something you would have to to research or, or ask your um, your your state representatives, or your county representatives, what leeway that they have.
0: That's um, called home that's county rule. Kind that's of the rural, first step. Home home county rule. Like in Illinois, yeah, that's, that's what
1: it's called. That, yeah, I believe that's what they call it in Illinois. So what that re- means in practical purposes is is that the state legislature is is limited in how much um, control it can exercise over county. So it gives the county a great deal of of leeway uh, to to. Uh, to create ordinances and, and laws that differ from what might be at the state level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much harder for the state to impose its will on a county in Illinois than a lot of other states. Um, in, in a lot of states, you have to really start at the state level and kind of get mm-hmm. them to loosen mm-hmm. up. Um, and and so that's, again, I, I don't know the particulars of Texas, yeah. of but... Um, you know, the first thing, the first step would be to, to talk to your to county council members and say, hey, what, what leeway do you have? Yeah, what can you do? Um, yeah.
0: So um, we've done in the past, and we'll continue to to look at this whole thing about money and digital currencies and this uh, 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 federal central bank digital currency, which they're going to roll out. And Texas recently, they didn't get it on the, leg- on the docket this time, but they, they want to do a a truly gold-backed digital currency that's going to be mm-hmm. used in Texas—it's pretty cool. I, the, the people yeah. behind this thing. So, can the Fed go in and try to stop this? And they said, because they—they've they, said here in Texas, we don't want to do the central bank digital currency. I think DeSantis has talked about it, and we just want to do our own. Now, you think this is going to be a rough and tumble battle when this thing gets heated up?
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard to say how this is going to play out. We're entering into a, new area. a, a kind of a, a brave new world, so to speak. Um, but I do think that there are things that that states and individuals can do to help at least shield uh, the use of a digital currency. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is going to depend on, on whether people are willing to adopt it and use it or not. Right. And the reason that I think uh, there's, there's no doubt that the state of Texas can create its own gold-backed digital currency. I mean, that's, uh, it, they just can't. Uh, can. There's, yeah, they, they can't. There's, there's no legal reason. I don't see any way that the federal government could stop them from doing that. Mm-hmm. The question then becomes, what do the people decide that they're going to use? Will they use this gold-backed alternative, mm-hmm. or are they just going to say, "Well, I'm just going to use this Fed currency because that's easier." Um, but the first step, and and this is key, um, is to create as much currency competition as possible, create alternatives. Again, just like in, in the world of food, we want as many alternatives as possible. I want to be able to have options. We need to have options in money as well. So I am all for anything that will, um, make it easier to use gold, silver, or even other cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, Bitcoin or whatever whatever, mm-hmm. whatever they can come up with that will create competition and then let the people decide what's going to work best. I guarantee you that it, whatever the Federal Reserve does is not going to work best. Yeah. Uh, we have seen how <laughs> the Federal that. Reserve has wrecked our money. Yeah. So I think if people have the option of of using different things, of transacting in uh, in things that are backed by gold and silver, or uh, some other hard asset. I think people will eventually start to use that especially as more and more we're seeing uh, the the erosion of our purchasing power because of the way the government and the central banking system has abused our money. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people all the time, what you're paying, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the gas station, when you go to the lumber store and you're paying so much more today than you were a year and a half ago. This is the inflation tax. You are paying for government through higher prices because instead of taxing you directly they just printed money yeah. when you print money it creates price inflation it's it's economics 101 really uh, so I, I like to remind people because the way the government talks about inflation you know they make you think that it's somebody else's fault you know they'll they'll tell you oh it's greedy corporations <laughs> or it's putin's price hikes or I, I don't know voodoo you know they come up with all these all these excuses Inflation ultimately is an expansion in the money supply, which means they are creating money out of thin air. And when you have more goods or, or more money chasing the same amount of goods and services, or in the case of the ridiculous government mandates during the pandemic, uh, the the a decrease in goods and services, prices are going to rise. It's going to happen, and it's happening now. So as people begin to understand that, as they see it continue to happen, they're going to look for alternatives, and those alternatives are always going to be in, in sound money that is not controlled by the government, and that's the beauty of gold and silver.
0: Somebody sent me a quick little clip of Christine Lagarde of the IMF, and she was talking about inflation. Oh, it was just hilarious. I wish I could pull it up, and I'll just tell you what she said. She said, well, this was really a surprise, this inflation. We just don't know why it's <laughs> happening. And they've been just right. dumping dollars anywhere they can throw them. It's just hilarious. I, I joke
1: all. I joke all the time. Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve yeah. Chairman, said basically the same thing. Yeah, right. that, well, inflation was a big surprise, <laughs> you know. And, and you'll you remember two years ago they were saying, "Oh, inflation is transitory," you yeah. know. And this is. I was saying then that inflation was going to run out of control. Of course, we I mean, that. it wasn't a surprise to me. And I don't have a job at the Federal Reserve. You know, I'm just here talking to you on, on the radio and writing articles at the Tenth Amendment Center. If it was not a surprise to me, it's hard to understand <laughs> how these people who are supposed to be so wise and benevolent is, is to have the power to run the world's economy were surprised by this. Yeah. So you've they're either of, wildly incompetent or they're lying.
0: I, I think you've heard of this thing called ESG, which is environmental, mm-hmm. social. What's the G? Uh, Global or yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah. yeah whatever. whatever. <laughs> So they got this whole thing, I think it's with the World World Health Organization and the UN and the the globalists and they want to promote corporations to practice this model, Mm -hmm. right? And um, what they're actually doing is tying in lending to it too. So they'll say to McDonald's, right, if you need to borrow money, you got to do this environmental, social, Green New Deal thing and we'll lend you money. Mm -hmm. But in Texas, I don't know if they did it in Florida, you may know, uh, Governor Abbott said, "We're not going to deal with any company that's tied into this ESG." He just said, "We're just not going to yeah. do this." I, I think that was pretty cool, you know.
1: Yeah, I know Ron DeSantis has, has talked about, has um, as far as state investments and stuff, trying to avoid the ESG. And I think, you know, one of the things that we're seeing in, in, in that realm um, is we're starting to see folks. One, one of the reasons that this is being uh, successfully pushed is because you've got these large hedge funds such as blackrock and fidelity that are pushing this and they're basically saying you have to have a certain esg score in order for us to 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 invest in in your stock yeah and so there's a tremendous amount of pressure because these uh these these funds control uh, such big sh- market shares of, of various stocks and, and companies. And so, uh, one of the things that is starting to happen, and I think is a positive, is we're starting to see some alternatives uh, come up where, you know, um, creating hedge funds that are saying, you know, we're not going to do this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which again creates all- alternatives. And uh, I'm, if, if people haven't figured out, I'm a big fan of alternatives. I love yeah. markets, yeah. I love the freedom to interact because when you have that, the good tends to rise to the top and the garbage tends to, to get sunk to the bottom, which is exactly why governments like to try to maintain control over markets because uh, they they want what they want to rise to the top. So um, yeah.
2: Here's a we need question. to encourage
1: folks and, and look for ways to 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 kind of work within these alternative systems that are being developed out there in order to uh, to try to overcome and undermine some of this garbage that is being shoved down our
0: throats. Uh, Stephen writes in for Mike Meharry of the Tenth Amendment Center, um, at Patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Thanks for having him on. Very interesting. So is it reasonable to say that the FDA, CDC, the WHO, the UN, uh, whoever, have no real authority over me and my family?
1: They shouldn't you know it's interesting it's interesting because well, in some it. ways the reason that let me let me just back up the okay. reason that they have authority is because ultimately they have guns come on <laughs> ultimately <laughs> ultimately they have power over us By because force. they can fine us and they can lock us in cages and and they can they can force us into doing their will
2: mm-hmm.
1: do they have any rightful authority absolutely not wow. And and that's what people, I think, need to start to understand and grasp in their heads. I think too many people are deferential to government, like it's some kind of thing that has this, this uh, uh, magical powers. And, you know, you go again, go back to the founding generation in this country. They talked about the fact that ultimately power comes from the people. Sovereignty is in the people. It's not in the government. We are to control government, not the other way around. And so a lot of the problem is because we've been acting like government is in charge and bowing to everything that they do. And when we stop, that's when we have success. 1996, awesome. the state of California said, you know what? We're going to have medical marijuana in this state, uh, whether the federal government wants this to or not. And they did it. And it was difficult. And there were a lot of people that sacrificed to get that done. There were people that went to jail. Because they were defying the federal government, but they were willing to stand up against uh, what was perceived as tyranny. So. My message to people is always try to find ways to live your life in such a way as that y- as you are taking as much control over your life as possible. We all have to walk the balance, none of us want to go to jail, right. we don't want our funds getting seized, uh, you know, we don't want to end up in some kind of re-education camp. So we have to navigate those mm-hmm. uh, those twists and turns. Mm-hmm. But in so much as it's possible to create more freedom for ourselves, we need to work to do that. So, where there are opportunities, take them. Go to your farmer's market. Find uh, your local food producers. Find ways of utilizing alternative currencies. Uh, create mechanisms where you can do barter instead of, mm-hmm. you know, that's one thing that there's no central digital currency can stop you from trading apples for, uh, you know, I'll give you I'll give you my apples and uh, you fix my shoes. You know, we can do those things. And, um, and and trying to find ways to undermine as much as possible without getting ourselves thrown in prison.
0: Yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, that's, that. The food there is terrible, and those orange <laughs> suits just don't go with my, my skin color. You know, I, I,
1: yeah, exactly. I and, and the flip flops yeah. are uncomfortable. Right? I don't want to do that. Nobody this is that.
0: a great question uh, from yeah. Gerald. So if I wanted to go to the most freedom loving state in the union, where does your guest think I should move to? <laughs> You have a, that's a that's a great question. That's a I like really that. good question. I like that question. Yeah,
1: I do like that question, and I'm not going to have a very good answer okay. because, you know, one of the the foundational principles in economics is that value is subjective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In other words, what you may find extremely valuable, I may think is dumb. You mm-hmm. know, I I have friends who will spend hundreds of dollars on comic books. I wouldn't spend a dime on a comic book. I, it's not something that I find valuable now. You put me in a guitar store, I will drop far more money on guitars right. than I probably should. So that's subjective. So, yeah. so value is subjective. Our value of what we value for freedom is also subjective, right? So, you know, somebody who who's one of the biggest things that they really care about is, say, say being able to defend themselves and own firearms.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the best states in the, in the union for that is Kentucky. You know mm. they have, uh, they now have uh, what they call constitutional carry. You don't have to have a permit to conceal carry. They have open carry, very limited regulations at the state level on guns. But if you're interested in, you know, uh, maybe being free from surveillance, oddly enough, California is one of the best states in the union in terms of actually cracking down and, and stopping government surveillance. Mm. Um, food freedom. You're going to want to go to Wyoming. Uh, so low taxes you might want to go to some place like new hampshire or florida or texas Texas. that doesn't have a state income tax so you really the answer to that question is that there are a lot of different states that offer freedom in different areas of life and it's up to you to determine which of those are extremely important i love it here in florida uh, because i don't have a state income tax uh the the you know, the regulations of COVID, at least at the end, were far less draconian. Um, And, uh, you know, there's some good things going on here in Florida. But we've got horrible, um, you know, our our, our drug laws are still far behind. And it's a a lot of police state stuff going on in this state. So it's just a balance. You have to determine mm-hmm. for yourself mm-hmm. what is important to you mm-hmm. and and find those places. So some somebody might say New Hampshire. New Hampshire has a lot of freedom-loving things. Some people might say Florida. I, I could never live in New Hampshire because I don't want to be cold. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, some people love Texas. It just depends on what you view as important in terms of your kind of hierarchy of, of liberty values. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, before we go then, are there other states... Uh, bring us back to the original intent of our conversation on Wyoming and the food freedom. You mentioned um, North Dakota and uh, Utah. Are there other states that you know of, Mike, that are that are kind of getting closer to the food freedom thing? Have you seen any talk from other states? Tennessee, yeah, Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I, men-
1: I mentioned Maine. Maine. Uh, yeah. Their their laws are a little bit the way they've approached it is a little bit different, but um, they they have been a very strong state in promoting local food production and and local Mm -hmm. food sovereignty. Um, I think several of the other states in the Northeast as well – Massachusetts, oddly enough, uh, Vermont, Mm. um, uh, New Hampshire – and these are states that have a kind of a a long history of what you would call uh, local governance, you know, but you go back to the days of the old town meetings. Uh, So there's still that kind of Mm. embedded, ingrained idea that local is better. Yeah. even you know, though they're liberal I, I think there's and, and some big potential,
0: picture, right? Even though they're blue states, right? Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I think there's some potential in in states like uh, in, in states like Tennessee,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, Oklahoma. I know that they've uh, that they've had some stuff introduced. Um, we're seeing a lot of of movement in the realm of freeing up, you know, more specifically raw milk. Um, I know Iowa expanded raw milk sales this past legislative session. I believe Idaho oh, cool. uh, did the same. Um, so, you know, th- there's there's um, there are some states that are doing some things. And uh, you know, ultimately, what it's going to come down to is is when you have uh, enough people who who care about that issue that start pushing it. Um, I know there there was a, a lady that I got to know pretty well that lived up in Montana. And uh, she raw milk was her thing, man. Mm-hmm. And she created an organization. And she worked for like four or five years wow. uh, before they were finally able to overcome the big dairy lobbies and, and get at least limited raw milk sales up there in in Montana. Uh, so it really it really is imperative if if this is something that you care about, I can't uh, emphasize enough and encourage you enough to try to find a way to to involve mm-hmm. yourself uh, in in you know if if not if not me then who. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, it, it really, ultimately, you know, we we can talk about we can talk about politics. We can talk about uh, what governments do. Ultimately, it comes down to uh, individuals and groups of individuals working together uh, and, and trying to make make the world a better place.
0: Yeah. Okay. The final question is the big one. So whatever Trump, DeSantis, <laughs> Kennedy, Biden—you know—it's always going to be the same, right? It's you know it's going to be the same. Uh, so there's going to be times when many of us are just going to want to blow this popsicle stand called the Great the Union. Um, if, what would it take for Texas or Florida or Tennessee to just secede from the Union? Is it even doable?
1: You know, if you'd asked me this question five years ago, yeah. I would have emphatically said no. Really? Now, today, I think there's been a great, huge shift in thinking hmm. in terms of people are at least willing to entertain the idea when you have people in california the left of the left <laughs> starting to talk about this issue starting to talk about it favorably yeah. then you know that there is some momentum going in that direction now there are a, a lot of uh, a lot of things that would have to be overcome But I think people are more and more getting, uh, they're willing to think about the idea, maybe having one government over however many thousands of square miles makes up the United States, over 350 some million people. I think it's 332, I say 350, Mm. uh, rounding up. But I think a lot of people are realizing, you know, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe it would be better. And we would get along better if california did its own thing and and texas did its own thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: so i think that there is the potential there for that to continue to evolve we had brexit we've seen other secession movements in other places so i think people are more open to the idea of splitting up a peaceful divorce so to speak um and so i i do think it's possible i think in the interim, I think we're more likely to see what I like to call soft secession. soft secession. And that's things like uh Texas coming up with its own gold digital currency. Right. Uh where, where folks start to do things, it's not complete secession. We're not completely splitting, we're not making a political pronouncement or redrawing borders, but we are doing things that um that Kind of detach us from the centralized system mm-hmm. and, and i think we're going to see more and more of that as time goes on mm-hmm. uh more and more reforms at the local level uh because i think there is momentum towards more local government as a governance and decentralization and i think that's a healthy thing yeah. so um interesting you know in in my personal view i i would love to see um uh, you know texas become its own uh in entity um And and it's it's certainly more possible now than I think it was even five years ago. Uh, Will that ever happen? I don't know. Um, I I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of things that are going to happen here in the United States over the next 20 to 30 years, that's going to bring about a lot of change in terms of uh, the US's position as the global economic leader, as the dollar having the reserve currency, I think those things are oh, going to start really changing yes, the so. way we look at the world. So I think so, yeah. We'll see
0: what happens. Yeah, well, there's a lot of that going on. De-dollarization around the world. I mean, there's papers like exactly Iraq is they're off the dollar now. They're just yep. using their dinar. Uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's other countries, that we just don't want to do your stinking dollar anymore, you know. Russia, yeah, of there was a uh,
1: yeah. there was an article I just ran across today, that, uh, and well, we've been hearing this kind of murmurs yeah. for a while that uh, the BRICS nations, which are yeah. uh, China, Brazil, Russia, yeah. South India. Africa, India. Um, India, that they're looking at, they're having a big meeting coming up in August. They're looking first off at expanding that that network, and and second, they're talking about cool. developing a gold backed re- reserve currency. So we'll, you know. Wow! If that comes to fruition, mm-hmm. that's something like thirty-three percent of the uh, of the world's yeah. economic power is in is in the BRICS. Obviously, not as powerful as the West at this point, but that's significant when you start talking about mm-hmm. uh, de-dollarization. That's, that's a whole other show, but sure, yeah. um, I think these trends are going to spur more decentralization here in the United States.
0: So that could give an argument to just uh, give me a little leeway here, big picture. Rather than Washington just imploding, you know, on itself, which they keep going at thirty-five trillion in debt, and and whatever, <laughs> hundred trillion in unfunded liabilities. I mean, come on, right? Uh, yeah, what are you going to do? Just imploding? Maybe there could be a soft over the next 10, 20 years. Just you know, leave me alone. We're good. We're just going to do our thing here. I mean, that's possible. I guess that's it.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know. I vacillate back and forth from from being totally black-pilled, right. <laughs> thinking the world's going to come to an end, uh, to being somewhat optimistic, especially when it comes to the economic things. Uh I could see a scenario, a pathway, where the United States becomes more like Britain. You know, Britain was once the world empire, and now it's, you know, it's still it's still there, but it's no longer the dominator of the globe. I could see something like that happening in the U.S. The thing that makes me optimistic... In terms of of our fortunes is the fact that yes we have all of this debt we have all of this financial malfeasance uh just they've destroyed our money uh they've destroyed the economic system but the good news is that ultimately economics is about stuff right it's not really about money money is just a way of transferring stuff Mm -hmm. it's ultimately about what can you produce Mm -hmm. and no matter what happens we have a a very technologically advanced society that is pretty well educated we have a lot of natural resources that means that we can produce stuff so i think if you had a massive financial collapse i think that this continent could recover relatively quickly in terms of the fact that we could go back to just making stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: and 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 have that kind of prosperity apart from this I don't even know what to call the the uh, the financial system that they've created. Uh, it's almost like a um, it's almost like a fake economy, but there is a real economy that underlies that that mm-hmm. that is still there. And I, and I think that's what makes me optimistic. I know that Americans can work hard, can think hard, and can produce stuff. And that really ultimately is where prosperity comes from, not from government, not from money printing. Uh, not from finance, but from actually being able to produce things. And we can do that. So that's good.
0: Well, you're just such a closet libertarian. I just love you, eh, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> not really in the closet. Not really in the closet. Though. No, you're out of the closet there. Boy, it's so fascinating that a libertarian movement politically never really has gone anywhere. Huh? They get 5%, pretty much all they ever get. It's just, yeah. I don't know, it seems interesting. But then again, you know, there's never going to be a political solution to this anyway, Right. We're not going to find but some leader it, that's going to exactly. take care of us and change our life. <laughs> it's not going to happen.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You go back to the the American Revolution, and and John Adams said something that I think is pretty profound. He said that the real American Revolution wasn't the war. He said it was a change of thoughts and ideas that happened before the war. Uh, and, and it really was profound. I mean, you went from people well, believing that the king had ultimate power and that the parliament was sovereign in these ideas – evolved into wait a minute people have a right to create their own government government is for their benefit they have the right to alter or abolish government as they see fit that the individual uh, is is the preeminent uh, entity in in this system that was a radical change in thinking that happened before there was an american revolution and that's why i think really what we're engaged in is a battle of ideas mm-hmm. and you know no matter how unoptimistic i may get about the The trajectory of things i do think that that the ideas are growing more and more people are starting to to think about the idea of personal sovereignty and personal liberty and and those types of things and that will have to pre- uh, predate any type of real system- systemic change. We have to change ideas before we can change systems. So, uh, a lot of the work that we're doing at the Tenth Amendment Center just—that's what we're trying to do. We're j- we're just trying to get people to recognize uh, the some of the profound uh, political ideas that the uh, that the founding generation had that we've lost along the way, and then build on those because there are some there are some assumptions that underlie those things that we can even push further. Cool. So, uh, it's all about ideas. Yeah.
0: Mike Meharry, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a while since we've talked to you. Good work. Yeah, it was fun. It's, it's called the 10th Amendment Center, and you can just go 10thamendmentcenter.com, check them out. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they'd be happy to, you can send them a little donation. Keep. Is that how you guys keep floating, is just donations? Well, we we have
1: memberships. Memberships, uh, So cool. you can actually be a member of the 10th Amendment Center for as little as like two bucks a month. Oh, man. And... uh <laughs> You go to our go to our Tenth Amendment Center store, and you'll you'll see right there the the various options, and and there are some benefits to being a member. As most memberships have, you'll have access to some, uh, some content that's not uh, out there in the public domain, and uh, uh, some some other little benefits. So you can check that out over at 10thamendmentcenter.com. com, and uh, you know that's 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 how we keep the doors open. Here is is just uh, a lot of folks who are who are members, uh, and we don't have any big donors. You know, we don't have any corporate. Finance coming in. It's it's all based on uh, on our memberships and and small donations that we get. So appreciate all the support that's out there. But as much as anything, uh, we just hope that you'll help spread these ideas and uh, and and let people know that that we exist and in, in some of the work that we're doing.
0: Terrific, Mike Mahary. Thank you. It's always good talking thank to you. you. So much. Take care. Let me know if we can help with something. Thanks. Absolutely, Mike Mahary, Tenth Amendment Center. Cool guy, huh? Good stuff. Yeah, betcha, baby. We are going to take a quick little break here. And uh, for an hour and a half, we're probably just going to go ahead and run Mike's show again from the beginning. And we'll do that right now. So if you just tuned in late on video or audio, we're going to play it again. You'll hear from the beginning and uh, learn about this whole thing going on in Wyoming that we initially were uh, prompted to get Mike on. So we're going to see you at 1 o'clock. We're going to talk about food. We're going to talk about carnivore, keto. Uh, eggs, raw eggs, raw meat, all kinds of stuff with Joey Schwartz at 1 o'clock Central. Uh, So in the meantime, we're going to play Mike back right now and then uh, you can listen to him and and take care. And we'll see you in just a few minutes. Thank you. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.